Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is the 14th Sunday after Pentecost and the epistle is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians. Brethren, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are po opposed to one each other, so that you do not do what you would. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are immorality, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, witchcrafts, enmities, contentions, jealousies, anger, quarrels, factions, parties, envies, murders, drunkenness, carousings, and such like. And concerning these I warn you, as I have warned you, that they who do such things will not attain the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, long-suffering, mildness, faith, modesty, continency, chastity. Against such things there is no law. And they who belong to Christ have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will stand by the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not be anxious for your life, what you shall eat, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life a greater thing than the food, and the body than the clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious about it, can add to his stature a single cubit? And as for clothing, why are you anxious? Consider how the lilies of the field grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which flourishes today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more you, or you of little faith, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what are we to put on? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things shall give, be given to you besides. So far are the words of this day's holy gospel. But seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things shall be given you besides. Words taken from the gospel of today's Holy Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear friends in Christ, if I were to give you a treasure map, or say somebody were to give you a treasure map that uh, you would not have to pay for, in a sense, uh, what would you do with it? 
You know, we see on documentaries how the sunken treasures of the past in the Caribbean Sea and the Gulf of Mexico and other places along the coast where Spanish galleons had sunk with booty, treasures, gold, silver, gems. Uh, we may even know where these treasures may be found under the waters. But who would go after these treasures? What would you do if you had a treasure map? Well, first of all, I don't think you'd throw it away. If anything, you would certainly look at it very carefully. Where is this island that has in some cave or in some locale under the ground uh, this vast treasure that all you have to do is locate and dig it out or excavate it and uh, it would be yours? Well, what would you do? Would you sell it? Give it to somebody else to bother about getting the treasure? Will you just get a pittance for whatever transaction you might be able to um, uh, concoct with somebody who's more capable, more interested, more willing to take the trouble and time to go to this treasure site. Well, it's something that we can think about. It's a matter of fantasy, but uh, if you were given a treasure map, what would you do with it? Would you really seek out the treasure where its locale is indicated, take a chance? You look at it long and hard and calculate whether it was worth the trouble. Maybe it would be a wild goose chase. Maybe it would be a bonanza. But one thing you know, to get a treasure is not free. You have to work for it. You have to work hard. And those who have tried have come up with booty, but probably paid as much to get this booty as they have been able to retrieve from under the waters or wherever this treasure may be found. Well, we give you a treasure map in our religion. It's not free, but what are you going to do with it? We give you the lessons. We encourage you to living the life that this treasure map indicates for you in order to have this treasure. Do you just look at it? Do you sell it off? Do you put it away somewhere for future use? Uh, or do you um, set about taking the steps to finding this treasure, the pearl of great price, this treasure beyond this earth? It's a calculated risk. It's a price that has to be paid in much labor, much effort, and much expenditure one way or another. We're all involved. The treasure is for each one of us, but only by our own individual efforts will we ever be able to uh, retrieve it. We can't wait for our parents to give it to us. We can't wait for our friends to help us. We have to take our pick and shovel and walk and find this locale and begin to dig. That's the way it is with the kingdom of heaven. Now, the world offers a treasure, too, free. All you have to do is surrender, let them take over, and they'll tell you what to do. And at the price of slavery, you will have freedom because they will give you what you need, nothing more, nothing less, but just enough to get by. And uh, it will be only for this earth. Now, we have been studying these lessons on our Catholic faith. We're up to 
lesson 63. We've been making time through the year. We come to the lesson on the laity. You are the laity. The church is not just the priests and the bishops or the pope, not this vast hierarchy with all these various offices in Rome and the dioceses throughout the world. It is made up mostly of ordinary, as we say, Catholics, lay people, who are not clerical, who are not religious, who do the hard work, who raise families, who labor to take care of the needs of these families and to take care of the needs of the church as well. Um, but the church then gives you in return this enlightenment to know your faith, at least it should, in catechetical instructions, and for you to take part in this prop, uh, operation of teaching the faith and catechetical instructions to your children around the dinner table, uh, by example, through the day, through the week, through the month, through the years, uh, this is where religion is really got at home, around the table, in your conversations, in your dealings with each other. This is where religion is lived. It's taught here in the chapels, taught in classrooms, one way or another, but it is lived where you are. There's your pick and shovel, and there's your feet that have to walk the steps following Christ. And so we come to Lesson 63 about yourselves and your responsibilities and your burdens and your rewards as well. The treasure map that leads to a real treasure, but not without effort. Now who are the laity of the church? The laity of the church are all its members who do not belong to the clerical or the religious state. All members of the church, whether clerical, religious, or lay, are termed the faithful. The faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the gospel. Faithful to the teachings of Christ. Taught through the pope, through the bishops, through the priests, through the educational system, but eventually from God, the Father, through his Son, through the church he established, which we call his bride. And who is this bride of Christ? It is the faithful. Not all people in the world, but those who have heard, who believe, who ba are baptized, who teach their children, who baptize, have their children baptized, and who live in the light of faith, hope, and charity. This reality of our Catholic religion. So after baptism, or at baptism, we join the ranks of the faithful. Now all children grow up and they have different vocations but they all grew up beginning the same with baptism, the new birth in Christ, the new powers given by God to be exercised with reason guided by faith, hope, and charity. But you are the faithful, we are the faithful, if we live faithfully the doctrines of Christ. And who are the faithful? Well, the religious, the clerics, and the lay people, the laity. Does that mean you're less? By no means. Every priest and every layperson is equal in the sense that each has to work to find his treasure, each in his own vocation. So there's no higher or lower in the sense that um, the priests are better off or closer to God or have a better chance. They too have to learn and they do. They have this advantage. They go through the seminary training. And I wish every one of you could go through the seminary to get that kind of training that we got 
not only to learn but to be trained in the virtues in the hard uh, love that has to be practiced <coughs> when it's cold and you have to get up in the morning to do your duties not easy but you do it because your responsibility is demanded of you and you do it in line with your vocation whether it's going to work whether it's getting up to a sick call whether it's to say prayers in the middle of the night as a religious do all of these things are working to gain this treasure of heaven and so uh, at baptism we all enter the ranks of the faithful and thereafter as we grow through life through the years ahead we find our particular vocations those ministries that God has given to various souls to carry out in their own vocations all working together in a harmonious unit that makes up the mystical body of Christ which is the bride of Christ the spouse of Christ we are the elect if we elect to be so if we choose to follow the ways of Christ and to know and to have the strength of heaven to overcome the world of flesh and the devil this is the other part of the spectrum of life that we face we are called out of it the world the flesh and the devil now you cannot serve both the world and and God because the two are opposed the spirit of the world has been lost to Satan he has entered in taken over we're born into this world and we are taught how to live in it without being of it and we take it for granted unfortunately uh, this has been the mind uh, development that this is our world this is where we live this is um, where we um, find our happiness and our Lord says no there's a higher world I'm calling you out of this one to enter this other world this other worldliness while you're living in this world but not of it and you cannot partake of its vices you cannot take partake of its sins its faithlessness its superstitions you cannot do that because you've been given something better here's your treasure map what are you going to do with it well I like the world I like the fun I like the lights I like the music I like the excitement I want to belong to the world and our Lord said you cannot serve two masters follow me out of this world into the world of faith hope and charity I'll give you virtues that are not of the world the world is greedy I give you generosity the world is hateful I give you love the world's impatient I give you long suffering and you're going to be tested to see if you really possess these virtues and if you do not live up to them then you don't have them you have yet to achieve this treasure this seeking this uh, capturing of these elements of the kingdom of heaven unless you become as little children unless your justice exceeds that of the Pharisees you will not enter the kingdom of heaven so you must make a choice <clears throat> whether your treasure map is of this world or of the world to come and that is a hard decision sometimes to make but baptism puts us into the group of the faithful and now we must walk the way of Christ to remain faithful and to be of the elect rather than to think we are without achieving it more than just looking at the treasure map and doing nothing else the laity must remember that they are part of the church now this is written by a bishop speaking about others 
let us put it this way. The laity must remember that you are part of the church. You're the bulk of the church in a way. You make up the most in numbers. And they or you must understand that when anyone speaks of the church, they are or you are included. As we include the heart and mind of a man with his soul when we speak of him. The church is you and I. And this is the mystical body of Christ. This is the spouse of Christ. And if you think in these terms, you'll be closer to Christ. You'll be more oriented to that kingdom of God and his justice in the fuller reality of faith, which alone can reveal this to us with our mind and reason guided by this faith. We don't offend against faith. We don't offend against reason. But in this corridor, as we move through life, we will come closer and closer to the ideals of living the realities of these treasures that are not material, but are spiritual, are supernatural. And not everybody has because they know about it. Not everybody has because they think about it. They have it when they have it. And we grow to this by degrees, having it better and better. It's like the immigrant who came from the old country thinking that gold was in the streets of America. And when his friend met him at the boat shore and they walked down the first block, they saw a dime in the street. And uh, the man was going to uh, pick it up for his friend who had just come across. And the man's friend said, no, 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 let's go a few more blocks. We'll find the bigger money. And that's the way it seems. As we go along, we get the bigger treasures. We find the uh, application of these realities of our faith more in our possession. Uh, we can't stand still and have it. We've got to keep moving along and it gets more valuable as we go, as we achieve this uh, search for the true treasures of the church. Now the clerical state includes all priests and aspirants to the priesthood who have received tonsure. Now tonsure is a haircut. And uh, a young boy who's going through seminary spends about seven, eight years, that is if he includes his high school, before he is even brought before the bishop to have his hair cut in the form of a cross. Five different places. And I remember a classmate who didn't have much hair, so the bishop looked at him and wondered, where is he going to make the cuts to give him tonsure? Uh, he was tonsured, however, and he became a cleric at that point. Later on, he enters the minor orders and eventually major orders, and then he's finally ordained a priest. But you become a cleric when you're tonsured, before you're a priest. Students of seminaries are aspirants to the priesthood. They're hopeful. Not everybody who enters the seminary will continue and complete his courses. Some drop out, and they get married, or they follow other vocations. But only a cleric who continues and becomes a priest is truly a... Um, priest forever. Tonsure is the right by which a layman is initiated into the clerical state. Now, for example, if one who's a cleric leaves and gets married, say, before he becomes a priest, of course, uh, he's still been tonsured and he is in the clerical state. The bishop or any delegated prelate cuts the candidate's hair in some prescribed form and invests him with a surplus. Now, such a cleric is in a class now uh, beyond the lay state. So he is not to be subjected to taxation. He is not uh, eligible or should not be eligible for military service. He's exempt from these things because he is now 
a member of Christ's hierarchy to dedicate his life to the service of God and out of the world, therefore, and no longer to pursue material things, interests, uh, projects, but to belong to God and the things of God and the works of God. The religious state includes men and women who embrace a community life and make the vows of poverty, <coughs> chastity, and obedience. Now these are virtues we all have to practice. Young people who are not married are to be pure chaste, modest, um, to practice a spiritual poverty, which says do not waste anything, do not go to excess, have enough, give the excess to others who have less. And obedience, be obedient to God, be obedient to the laws of God, be obedient to the church, performing the works of God, and be obedient to all legitimate superiors. So there's an obedience required of us as well as poverty, a spirit of poverty, and a spirit of chastity, of course. Even married people must practice chastity when required. Aspirants, hopefuls, postulants, seekers, and novices, those who are practicing, are preparing to embrace the religious state. You don't become uh, religious because you want to. They're going to see if you're capable. Are you able to keep these vows? Let's give you a little tryout period. And those who enter wear little insignia, a little veil, uh, but not a full clothed habit of a nun. Or a monk, uh, he is a brother, he helps around and he partici participates in the prayer life and is uh, tested to see if he is obedient, if he does have a spirit of poverty. And uh, these are tested to see that he's capable. If he's not, capable, they send him home. They say, you have a vocation in the world, um, get married or find some other work that God gives you to do that you're capable of, but it's not here in the religious life. And that's important to, d to determine. Some people want to be priests, but they can't be. They're not capable mentally, they're not capable physically, and spiritually they're not able to maintain the requirements of the priestly life. And they're told that their vocation is elsewhere. No em embarrassment, no uh, disgrace. It's just that we want to find the right place in the mystical body for you to give to God and to others what he has given you to do in his plan. And so overseers, the religious leaders, keep an eye on the candidates and promote him if he's capable of fulfilling the requirements. And they cannot stop him, really, arbitrarily, because it is God behind it all who is guiding the individuals to their destinies to be performed in the mystical body of Christ. Here's a good question. Do Catholic sinners continue to belong to the church? They're baptized, they've committed mortal sin, maybe they're living in the state of sin. Do they belong to the church? Now our Lord in one of his parables talked about the net that was cast into the sea and you know what happens when you go dredging in the sea. Sometimes you get a lot of fish, sometimes you get a lot of junk, sometimes you get a little of both. But when you pull that net up, you take what you get and then you sort it out. So in the church there are good and there are bad. And at the end of the world, God will sort it out. The angels will come and throw the trash away and the good will be gathered up for the use of God in the kingdom of God. The answer then, uh, do sinners belong to the church if they're baptized? The answer is yes. They may be dead, but 
they have some special mark that baptism gives them. It's called the character. The character of baptism entitles you to all the other sacraments. So if a Protestant who does not believe in the Catholic Church would want to be a Catholic if he only really knew the Church, but because of his bad education or bad example, he's turned it off and said, I've never become a Catholic, but I want to do what God wants me to do, which would mean in parenthesis, I want to become a Catholic in the true sense. Uh, God could give him the grace, but he would not have the character of baptism. So he could not then go to communion. He could not then receive the last sacraments. He would first have to be baptized. Then the character of baptism entitles him to penance. So if he's a sinner, he can regain the state of grace because of the mark or the character of baptism that entitles him to go to confession. And his sins in a state of grace would be taken away because of the baptismal character. Though he may be a dead Catholic in the sense of being in mortal sin, dead to the grace of God, he still has a right to receiving it back because of that character of baptism. And therefore, all sinners who may even have left the church have this mark forever, entitling them to come back to the church because they are still members through the character of baptism of that Catholic church. Once a Catholic, always a Catholic. But you can still go to hell with that character. So we must go beyond just being baptized. Unless one cuts himself off by heresy, I don't believe the teachings of the church or any particular teaching of the church. <coughs> I think it's perfectly all right to practice birth control. That's a heresy. Not perfectly all right. God gives life and God takes life away. And God is the sole custodian and right has right over all life. And those who enter marriage have to have the openness of this creation of life. That's their vocation. It's a burden. It's a joy. It's a pleasure. It's a pain. It's a misery. Many things together, but with the grace of God and the grace of marriage, the vocation is supported by that help to withstand the temptations in married life and the burdens to uphold these burdens in married life. Just as a priest has the vocation and the graces of his state, he's given the power and the help to fulfill his duties as a priest, to maintain his integrity, to fulfill his duties and obligations with reason guided by faith as we all are bound to. But it's a help and we cannot be heretical and still be a Catholic. Because if you reject the faith, you reject the foundation of everything that's built on that foundation, and there's nothing to hold up without the true faith in its integrity. So heresy loses that uh, uh, union with the church. Unless one cuts himself off by heresy, apostasy, he gives up religion altogether. He wants to live a life in the world, have power, have money, have pleasure, whatever the world has to offer, and he's going to give religion because it's an obstacle to all these things. And he doesn't want any obstacle in his way. So he becomes very liberal in the bad sense of the term because he doesn't want anything to limit him. And that's the sense of apostasy uh, from poverty, chastity, and obedience and their spirit of it uh, that we promote in the Catholic Church. Or thirdly, by excommunication. Now that is a, a, a church, an ecclesiastical censure or punishment. And it's very severe. It's the ultimate punishment because by the power of the Pope, a member of the church is cut off 
from all contact with the spiritual operation of the church. Cannot receive the sacraments. Cannot be allowed to go to communion, for example. Can't even go to confession. He has to first have the excommunication lifted before he can go to the sacrament of confession. And those who contract sin, uh, penalties automatically, and there are certain sins that are so severe, so serious, that it is punished by excommunication. And anybody who willingly uh, commits this sin is automatically excommunicated from the church. And before he can go to confession and receive absolution, the bishop must lift this excommunication and open the way then for receiving the sacrament of penance. And until that's done, the sacrament of penance is invalid. It doesn't work. So there's a severe power then to excommunication. You don't treat it lightly. But it's not arbitrary either. Every excommunication has to be under some crime, deliberate crime, knowingly and willingly, thumbing your nose, you might say, at the church or this uh, penalty. That's the kind of contempt and defiance that brings down the full force of excommunication. There's something similar to that called the interdict. The bishop or the pope himself can interdict a whole country or a section of the country or a parish and that parish would not have the sacraments allowed or mass in that parish is under interdict to bring the people back again to the, fa the, the faith and his practice by a severe measure. Usually it's by encouragement, by mercy, but sometimes it's by hard love that this pressure is applied, like excommunication, to bring a person back to his senses if he has enough faith left to realize that he's in jeopardy for all eternity to be cut off from God. So uh, these three ways break your bond with the church. Heresy, apostasy, and excommunication. Then uh, otherwise a Catholic sinner continues to be a member of the church. Those in mortal sin remain united by faith and hope, but not by charity. Charity is a living thing. It's a living connection with God. It's that love of God they would do nothing to offend him. And any sin that's deliberately done willingly offends God. And there cannot be charity in a state of mortal sin. Indeed, the church in the, it is uh, the church of saints. We talk about the church. We talk about not the leaders of the church. We talk about the saints in the church. The living church. The Holy Ghost living in people by grace. What about sinners? They're cut off, but have a title back again, if they will use it by faith and hope, to regain charity. But if they remain separated, they will not have eternal life. And that is what hangs over all of our heads as Catholics. And Protestants laugh at us because they don't have such a fear. They have just the confidence that Christ has saved them, and therefore they are saved. And they can't commit sin because God has already forgiven them by their faith. And so they're saved simply by faith, not the sacraments, not the mass, not the church, but simply by faith. The church is the church of saints, but the greatest part of its activities has to be for sinners. Why do we talk about the Ten Commandments? Why do we uh, warn you about occasions of sin, um, deliberate occasions of sin? Because it's liable they lead you into sin 
And if you willingly put yourself in danger, you already have a mind and heart to sin. And therefore, you're in danger of losing your eternal salvation, your eternal soul. So we talk mostly about sin, but we try to practice the living of grace, the virtues. Perhaps we may say, without fear of contradiction, that most of the members of the church are sinners. That's a pretty broad statement, but we'll leave the bishop to be responsible for the statement here. We all fall away from the ideal at some time or other. Then the church calls to bring us back. Well, there are degrees of falling away from the church. The just man, the man in the state of grace, falls seven times a day. Seven meaning many times. He's still just, he's still in the state of grace, but he commits many venial sins through carelessness, ignorance, um, weakness, surprise, um, half alert, and it seems that most of us today are in a semi-hypnotic state of mentality that we simply hear things and we react without thinking of what we're really doing. Uh, this diminishes the seriousness of guilt, but we still fail. We're not Christ. We're not Christ-like enough. We're striving to become more and more Christ-like, which is walking that path to the treasure with the map in our hand. To become what this map really indicates is a picture of that wealth that will be ours when we attain it. And to be Christ-like is when we have attained that Christ-likeness in word, in thought, and in action. Until we attain heavenly bliss, there will always be the darkness of sin, pain of evil. Christ himself spoke of bad fish with the good, of cockle or weeds among the wheat. God gave Catholics the grace of their holy religion, but he also gave them their free will. It's your greatest dignity and your greatest danger to use your will for God or to use it against God. And the devil said, I will not serve. That was the first act of rebellion in creation. And it continues to resound through the ages among human beings. I will not serve. That's a free will that not even God will overcome. And they are free to choose whether to act in full accordance with his commands and counsels or whether to practice only a part or whether to violate these commands completely. There's a wide gap between belief and practice. It is that gap that divides Catholics into practical and nominal Catholics. When you hear somebody's a Catholic, don't get excited. What kind of a Catholic is he? Maybe he has lost his faith. Maybe he has never been taught his faith. But a real Catholic is one who knows and lives that faith better and better as time goes on. Must the faithful think and act alike? You send children to Catholic school. They all come out stamps one after another, almost looking alike, like the clothes they wear, the uniforms that are so much the same. And yet underneath, people are different. Different nationalities, different temperaments, different personalities, different kinds of characters. Um, you're going to have different kinds of people who are Catholic. As I say, when I talk to my bishop, I don't talk to a bishop. I talk to a man who is a bishop with 
his characters and his limitations and his talents and all the things that make him a man, a human being. The Catholic faithful must believe in all the doctrines entrusted by Christ to his church and act in accordance with these doctrines. But you know, even though we all write with a ballpoint pen or pencil, whatever, um, we all spell the same, all handwritings are different. And so you might say all Catholic expression is a little different, but it's still the same in a way. It's Catholic, but with a little characteristic that is in, identifies you as a Catholic individual. But these pertain to the field of faith and morals, not to other matters. So do you have to speak alike, talk alike, think alike, <coughs> sing alike? No, there's no similar as uh, a exact uh, sameness. Uh, there are similarities, likenesses, but they all have little colors of difference, and we understand that. But where does the uh, line uh, separate the oneness from the differences? You must believe alike and act according to the same rules and regulations, with your own style, your own kind of temperament, but faithful nevertheless. Therefore, there is no question about thinking and acting alike among the nearly half a billion Catholics in the world. Each Catholic is an individual. He must believe what, that Jesus Christ is God. But with one of his Catholic friends, he may differ concerning the best political party to join, except Marxist parties. Uh, he must not deny his church, but he may argue with the parish priest about who uh, should be one's favorite saints. I don't have any arguments much about that, um, but uh, I had people challenge me, and sometimes rightly so, sometimes wrongly so. I don't uh, mince words about the Catholic faith, but I'll tolerate and uh, talk about opinions when we're not really sure about a subject. Well, what, what do you have to say? What do you think? And uh, so we have differences, and still we can be one. There are differences about whether the Pope's a Pope or not. There are differences about whether the Novus Ordo Mass is valid or not. You're going to talk about that till the sun comes down. Uh, we still won't know. Uh, but one thing we do have to say, the Pope is the Pope, if he is the Pope, and he is the head of the Church, and whether he's a man with failures or not, he is Christ's vicar on earth. And the Mass is the Mass, if we have the material, the form, and the intention intact. Beyond that, we say we can talk about whether they're there or not. The Church is for no particular class. Say, well, the Church favors the wealthy. Well, the Church has noble thoughts. It has a dignity. And it tends to be identified with those who have noble thoughts and are dignified. But it doesn't mean poor people can't have noble thoughts and be dignified. I grew up in a poor family, but we had noble thoughts around the table in our daily life. It wasn't sophisticated, but I say it was of the essence of that nobility. Though we were poor, we were among our Catholic people. Came to church in different kinds of cars, but we all had the same faith. And we all had the same kind of charity, hopefully, in our own way of expressing it. So there is no special class that the church favors. 
at least theoretically, there may be individuals who like to be with the rich and enjoy the benefits of being favored by the rich and ignore the poor because they have so little to contribute, but all of us are of the Catholic Church. Whether millionaires or laborers, scientists or children, the church is classless and for all classes, for all men, that's why it's called Catholic for everyone. These cannot all act and think in one uniform pattern. A person who's not educated will not speak in an educated way, but he's still a person. He's still got a mind. He may have better common sense than a person who's gone to postgraduate studies in college, but they have the mind of Christ, and that's the important thing. The different classes among Catholics arise from causes apart from the church, such as racial, cultural, and social causes. But anywhere and everywhere, one can be a good Catholic. So we have to keep our balance about this. There's a lot of hype about um, uh, racial injustice and so on, the poor and the rich, socialism, capitalism. Uh, there's a lot of social problems and discussions, but underneath it all, seek first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all the other things will fall in place without any destruction. Good Catholics believe alike in this, that they are members of a divinely established church. It's not man-made. It is not um, for man's benefit and comfort of an earthly kind, but of man's salvation of a supernatural kind, the well-being of which is their duty to further by striving to obtain the perfection indicated by Christ. That's number one, that you live it, to become a member of Christ to the perfection indicated by Christ himself. Here's the model for all men and women and children, um, but to become that we have to find this treasure by becoming one with Christ. And that's our spiritual life. The church presents us with the ideal and provides the means, the way by which to teach that ideal, inviting and urging us, feeding and shepherding, feeding and shepherding the flock. But the church does not guarantee salvation for all the faithful, that once I baptized the baby, now it's in. Forever. No, it has to be taught, it has to be trained, it has to be encouraged, it has to be taught about the world, the flesh, and the devil, it's its enemies, and the virtues by the grace of God to withstand these influences that we live among. Because among its doctrines, the freedom of the will is as fundamental as the divine authority of the church. So any, anybody can define, defy the church, anybody, because we're free. But to belong to the church means you think with the church. How can the laity help the church in the care of souls? The laity can help the church in the care of souls by leading lives that will reflect credit on the church. But it's not just to make the church look good, to be a member of the church in the fullness of that reality. And by cooperating with their bishops and priests, especially through Catholic action. Now there's a lesson here that I'm going to bypass on Catholic action uh, for the time being. Uh, it's good and bad uh, depending upon how it's applied. But uh, we, you are, as families, members of Catholic Action because you teach your children. And you help each other, spouses, to live that life of grace in Christ. Even so, 
our Lord says, Let your light shine before men in order that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Not you, but the one who gave you what you have with your cooperation to give glory to God. A good Catholic makes serious efforts to save his soul. Can't say, well, I'll wait until I'm dying before I go to confession. No, he's not making serious efforts. You don't know when you're going to die. He keeps the commandments of God in the church. He actually keeps them. Is this an ember day? Um, uh, what's the holy day of obligation next that I must prepare for Mark my calendar? He makes efforts. He says his prayers. He receives the sacraments. You know, we are sacramental people. A person who doesn't go to the sacraments isn't living truly the Catholic life. He goes to confession, goes to communion. Not that he's in a moral sin, but he goes to confession for the grace they, the sacrament gives, as well as for the forgiveness of those sins. And he receives our Lord in Holy Communion. Who's the source of life in the church? Christ, who leads us to the Father. And if we don't receive Christ, how do we have contact with the Father? We don't have it through Christ. So we live the sacramental life. We baptize our children. We see they're confirmed. We hope to make that available. Uh, make them uh, prepare for First Holy Communion, confession. Get them prepared for marriage. All their young years are with this view that they're going to be parents someday and responsible Catholic parents. He strives for Christian perfection according to his state in life. Each one of you is working on your own salvation. I can't make you holy. I can't save you. But you can make yourself holy and you can save yourself with Christ as your Savior and the graces that he brings to you through the church, through my ministry here. Therefore, he must know his religion. So I'm a Catholic. Um, whatever the church says, I believe. But what does the church say? Because you may not know and believe something that the church doesn't teach and think it's Catholic. He must not be ignorant of Christian doctrine. For by it, he learns how to save his soul. By it, he learns what to believe and what to do. I was talking to a lady yesterday. She said her mother wants to come here. And uh, I said, well, a lot of Catholics know what to do, but they don't know why. And when they change the what to something else, they still don't know why. We want to teach you why things are what they are so that you can, with intelligence, conduct yourself as Catholics wherever you are in the state of grace. A good Catholic obeys his ecclesiastical superiors in spiritual matters and gives them the respect, uh, due respect. You don't respect me because I am uh, Father uh, Raymond Rosito. You respect Christ in me. And if you kiss my hand, it's not my hand you're kissing, you're kissing Christ's hands. You call me Father, you're not calling me Father, you're calling Christ, who is the source of all life, whose baptism I give as the source of life. We recognize Christ in the priest. Sometimes a priest takes advantage of that in a bad way, and you resent that uh, infiltration for exploitation. We don't want that. We want fairness all around. But if it's there, it's human, and you learn to forgive, but you don't accept it if it's gross or out of order totally. We'll challenge it. He sees in his lawful superiors Christ's representatives on earth. Hopefully, they truly represent Christ. And so it is with you. If you see a neighbor who's not a good Catholic, doesn't mean 
you're going to become like him. You're going to remain as you are in Christ. Give him an example to follow rather than following his in, in bad sense. He is loyal to the church in word and deed. He does not make derogatory remarks about it. You know, we have lots of occasion to be disgruntled. Uh, we remember the church is the living church, the Holy Ghost and the saints in it. The dead members, those who are bad